This is the Champion Forum Podcast with Jeff Hancher, the forum for leaders, champions, and dreamers. Welcome back to another episode of the Champion Forum Podcast, where it is my mission to help others lead, inspire, and win. I'm your host, Jeff Hancher, and I am grateful that you have made the Champion Forum Podcast a part of your journey to reaching your fullest potential. Before we dive into uh, today's content, I want to remind you to take advantage of the show notes for each podcast episode. You can find these by going to the Champion Forum com. Here you're going to find notes from the content from today and every episode that you can apply to your own pursuit as well as that of your team. Use this as a training tool and an opportunity to take what you hear on each and every episode and apply it to your life, apply it to your journey of your pursuit to success. I'm excited today to introduce our topic and even more excited to introduce our guest. Today, we're going to be discussing the topic of remote leadership, and this is a topic that I feel does not get nearly enough attention. Remote leadership was one of the biggest hurdles I faced as a growing leader. You know, my, my journey in leadership, it started in one city, and I had my team, that they were all in the same city, I saw them often, uh, we collaborated well, relationships were built, and life was great. I was then asked to take on additional responsibility as a regional manager covering three additional cities, three additional markets, and that tripled the size of my team. And I learned very quickly that my formula for success was not working in this new capacity. And I'm happy to report that what almost killed me, it in fact did make me stronger. So whether you're leading remotely currently or not, I want to challenge you to listen closely to this content. Because as technology moves faster and faster, it's likely that at some point in your journey, you're going to need to lead or influence others in a remote fashion. And as I began thinking of this subject and and how we can best deliver some actionable steps and advice for the listeners, I wanted to not only share from my experience, but I also have a guest on that was has vast knowledge and experience in remote leadership as well. So Gina Miknovich is currently the CEO of the Craftsman Agency and also has an extensive background of leadership in both the corporate space as well as the startup space. So Gina, I wanted to welcome you to the show. And before we dive into the content, I'd ask that you maybe introduce yourself to our listeners, tell them a little bit more about the exciting things that you're doing with the Craftsman Agency. Great. Thanks, Jeff. Um, so, as Jeff mentioned, we are uh, the Craftsman Agency. The Craftsman Agency creates magical moments for customers. So, we end up connecting human beings with brands, and we're extremely effective. And I think at both having physical, but then also pulling in um, some of the digital. So, think experiential and digital and the elixir of social. And if you think about our how we are actually structured, we have people that are all across the United States. And we'll talk a little bit more and I think get into more detail about the actual nature of how we've set up our remote working. But I think that is part of the unique, um, certainly one of the unique differentiators um, of the Craftsman Agency. 
Yeah, we'll, and we'll talk more about that maybe at the end of the show because uh, I did some research on your company, and not only not only was it interesting to me the different areas of leadership that you've touched in your journey, but you're in a very unique space and a very creative space. So hopefully uh, we we can uh, touch back on the Craftsman Agency a little bit. But I know that um, one of the things that attracted me to having you on the show was kind of how you've set up that business and some other things that you've done as well. And specifically with the Craftsman Agency, why did, why did you choose to have your current business be fully remote? Like, what got you to that place? And what are some of the benefits of looking at that? So I think it was based on my experience started in HR. So when you're in human resources and you're working for organizations, you're helping set up all of those people systems and making sure that the people systems are aligning with the with all of the um, business objectives. And so when we looked at setting up the agency, one of the things that we had were a list of people that we wanted to start to work with and potentially have as employees. And so what that meant is because a lot of these people were in different locations, we would have to be more open-minded. We also wanted to not have a lot of fixed cost. So one of the things that made it easier was if we actually had people working more from their homes. But if if people weren't set up to do that, then we offer alternative systems for them to go work at a co-working space like the wing, for instance. We, um, we have some people that have been at WeWork, but a lot of those changes, we've decided to look at sort of the more local and support more of the local co-working spaces. So really it was about talent and, and, and making sure that we could pull in the people that we wanted to, that we knew weren't going to relocate and they were physically somewhere else. If that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, uh, there's a lot of entrepreneurs that listen to the podcast. You know, the, every, the demographic is everything from entrepreneurs, aspiring entrepreneurs, uh, aspiring leaders, current leaders, and so for, for maybe the, uh, the new entrepreneur or somebody that's thinking about a startup in the entrepreneurial space, you know, what are some things that you learned along the way as you were setting up a uh, quote unquote remote workforce? What were some maybe some pitfalls that you encountered that other people could minimize some of that pain? What did you learn that you would advise other entrepreneurs that are looking for the same type of a remote uh, workspace and remote organization. Absolutely. I think some of these things we're also working through a bit, even still now in some ways. Uh, one of the things that we set up pretty early on, and it's been a few years now, is we put in Slack. So that's almost like our water cooler. So there are some channels that are all hands and and the team uh, just shares things that are interesting, and it's a little bit more, uh, more kind of active communication versus having to s- schedule a meeting. And also, now that there's new features and you can call, it kind of gave us our our phone system, if you will, so that we can connect easily and just sort of quote unquote pick up the phone. The other thing that we did was we added video. So we've always had some system so where you could conference everybody in and we've had kind of different versions and most of them have video 
as part of it. In the beginning, I didn't want to use video because it's a lot of times it's really embarrassing. You don't want to see yourself talk. And so I really was reluctant to use it and I was encouraged uh, to try it. And so we did, we tried it. And I have to say, being able to connect with people and see people's eyes as we're meeting has made such a big difference. And so while I was reluctant for about 18 years, I mean, 18 months, I would say that we definitely, once we started doing it, felt more connected as a team. The other thing, and this was part of being an entrepreneur is onboarding new people. We were during the periods of time where we've really been hiring people really quickly having more formal onboarding and training is much more difficult in a remote setting. So you have to be really disciplined about some documentation. That doesn't mean it has to be 25, you know, slides. It can be actually Mm -hmm. really many videos or things like that, where you're helping people train. We also have people, we've set up a buddy system. So when you're a new hire, you're assigned a new hire buddy that essentially is someone that can answer questions that's not your boss. We found that that is also helpful to sort of develop a friendship with somebody because that is much more difficult to do when you are working remotely in, in different locations. Additionally, if you can pull people together in person and have like something in, you know, IRL in real life, if you can do that one to two times a year, that's always been great is when you have groups of people to get together and maybe it can't be everyone, but having that ability to, to really sort of, I like to refer to sort of break bread and be in person and have meals together and, and, you know, be able to work together. Those, those unique opportunities do serve up sometimes. Yeah. And those, I think those moments in time also really do make a big difference and kind of last longer. yeah. You know, just a couple points on that. I, I absolutely agree with, um, you know, three things that I wanted to maybe go back to was the first one was the the slack. Mm-hmm. Now, a lot of people that are listening, they may not know exactly what that is. Can you can you unpack that a little bit more and explain to the listener how what slack is and how they can apply that technology in a remote leadership capacity? Absolutely. So Slack is essentially um, a real-time chat and it has a couple of benefits. So you can set it up by with roles and rules and responsibilities. So it could be just a project, a functional area. It can, you can direct message people. So that's more like the live chat. And then mm-hmm. also you can have closed channels. So leadership channel, for instance, for us is a closed channel and it's just the leadership team that's on it. And that's where you can be assured that that information is going to be um, kept private and safe. The other thing that Slack has also, and you have to be aware of and is well worth paying a little bit of additional uh, money per individual is that if you do have the business version of Slack, then you are able, the paid for version, then you're able to have that historical information. And as a business, I always think it's a good idea. Um, One of the things that Slack also helps for is that 
we've found that it helps with just kind of those real-time communications versus doing something that you would normally put in an email format that doesn't always work well. So we, we make sure that you kind of have the, the right system for the right form of communication. So Asana is our task management, for instance. Did that answer your question? Yeah, absolutely. And just for the listener, correct me if I'm wrong, Gina, but it's S-L-A-C-K, just like it sounds, correct? Correct. Yes. Yeah, I would look into that. Uh, you know, I think every team's a little bit different and, you know, how people communicate are a little bit different. But I would agree with Gina to look into that technology. The other thing that uh, you mentioned, Gina, was video. What have you found to be the best uh, resource for that? Obviously, uh, Zoom seems to be one of the more popular ones. Have you found other ones to be beneficial? Do you prefer Skype over Zoom? Have you tried both? What are the pros and cons? Any feedback that you would give to uh, the remote leader as it relates to video technology? Absolutely. I think we will find, we, we are actually locked into a contract and I prefer not to say who that <laughs> vendor is, but, um, but we have found that our current vendor is, is a little bit buggy and the experience is, is not ideal. I think really we're seeing a lot of our clients and a lot of individuals that we work with moving to Zoom mm -hmm. and we're finding the experience with Zoom to be really seamless and quite easy. And so I would say that Zoom is, is a good tool. The other thing is, is if you have Gmail and you're really strapped on budget, Hangouts, as long as you're on a fairly good, I mean, I think it probably applies, fairly good network for any of these video, because video really takes a lot of bandwidth. So you want to be on a pretty fast internet connection. But I, I think Google Hangouts can suffice if you're trying to save money and you're really early stage. Um, it still gives you the video experience. It might not be quite as optimal, and I think it's not as seamless of an experience when you're sharing documents. I think that Zoom has better sharing capabilities, but you really, I think, can get away with uh, Hangouts if you're if you're feeling a bit strapped on cash. Yeah, there's um, there's a lot of benefits. I, I will tell you, embarrassingly, I just got introduced to Zoom not that long ago, and you know, all these years that I was a leader in managing remote teams, I did it really the old fashioned way, which was the Dallin and the pin and the conference. And it was all audio yeah. only. And there's some risk with that. I think a lot of people are still doing that. Actually, you know, mm -hmm. the risk that you run is engagement. Like you really don't know how engaged people are, you know, are they on Facebook and Instagram and, you know, doing a hundred other things when they should be locking into the meeting back to your original point too, Gina, with, which was engagement, you know, your words were, uh, there's something to be said about looking into somebody's eyes. I think if the technology is there, we should use it. And I know with Zoom, and, and, and don't quote me on this, I don't know how many seats you get, but up to a certain number of people on that, uh, on that platform, it's free. Uh, it's free technology, right. not to mention from a training standpoint, you can record it. So it's keeping your minutes for you. And I think there's a lot of benefits to doing that in remote leadership that if you haven't looked into that, that you absolutely should. Now, Gina, the other thing that you said that, that I also incorporated that I was going to touch on if you didn't was uh, you called it the new hire buddy, uh, which would I'm assuming would be another term for mentoring. 
And uh, I'd like to hear a little bit more about that structure and how you put people together, because I think this is a critical, critical component to remote leadership. And the reason I feel it's important is as the leader, you know, when you maybe you used to manage a single team and you all showed up to a brick and mortar and everything was great, you could make contact, build relationship. But when you start going remotely, either in the corporate space or like what Gina is doing, what you come to find is you don't have as many touches. And when you mm -hmm. get that mentoring type relationship established, you can't be everywhere at once and your productivity and the engagement with your team goes down. So by assigning a new person, a buddy or a mentor, you know, what you're doing there is you're giving them another mouthpiece. I mean, that's mm -hmm. a great idea, even if even if you aren't managing remotely, quite frankly. But I would say it's critical with remote leadership because now you have you're giving them a, a confidant. You know, yes. somebody that's already been down that, that road that they're about to approach on, somebody that knows the ropes, uh, somebody that they can call a lifeline to even on a daily if need be, because as leaders, most likely you're not going to be available or as flexible to meet the demands of a large team. And so creating that buddy system or that mentoring system is absolutely critical with remote leadership. And I'd like to hear your experience with that, Gina, what you would add to that, uh, things maybe to watch out for, or what's worked well within your organization. Yeah, absolutely. I would say that the buddy system is more of a peer-to-peer. -peer. So it is, and you can still have mentoring, certainly peer mentoring, um, but I think thinking of it more in that realm, it's somebody that is likely either doing your job or has a lot of information about the role so that you can also be a person that can answer questions. But it is that confidant. It is that person that isn't your boss. It is so much more difficult to build relationships in a remote environment. It just is. It's easier to build a relationship with people when you're with them day in and day out. And so that is one way to start to also develop relationships within the company with the different, with, you know, with different people. Um, and I think that's pretty critical. I think a lot of times the, what happens also with these buddies is that the buddy ends up you end up keeping like a weekly video call just to check in. And that's mm -hmm. what I found is that they really do develop um, friendships over, over time through the buddy system. And so I think it is, a, it's a great, it's a great program, much like we, you have a birthday buddy. Uh, so one of the things that's really sad in a remote work environment is if your birthday is forgotten and nobody, it, it's so easy, right? To forget someone's birthday just in general. But then if you put remote working on top of that, it means that it's, you know, we actually make it a point to highlight people's birthday on the roundup. So the roundup yeah. is every week and we all share video and we're all engaged on that call. And then we do a, basically an email or a Slack chain that is gifts that say what we really love about the person and wishing them a happy birthday. Uh, and so that is also one of those programs that I think is important because it's really sad. I actually worked with a remote company and I worked for them for six years and my birthday was forgotten every year and it was just kind of sad. Yeah. It's amazing <laughs> how 
how big those little things are. And mm-hmm. I think you're absolutely right. I talk about it on this podcast all the time. And and look, whether it's remote leadership or not, this is important. But to Gina's point, the challenges with remote leadership are so much greater. So it's much more, it's less forgiving if you make these kind of mistakes in a remote way, because you don't have that human connection. You don't have that same interaction. And so to Gina's point, whether, whether it's you sending the birthday card or whatever, that's not enough. You should be doing that, but celebrate it with the team, whether that's an email and a carbon copy, and maybe the same thing for new hires as well. Some type of a welcome announcement to the, hey, so-and-so just came on board. You have everybody else kind of replying all, engaging that new employee. It could be an anniversary, a work anniversary, whatever it might be. What you're doing is you're engaging that team. And then, you know, something Gina said was if you can get that annual huddle, man, that if you can make that happen, I would tell you, even if you are a national company and you go from east to west coast and you're looking at budget, I can tell you if you're going to spend somewhere, this is a great place to spend if you're in remote leadership. Because when you bring that team together, you have 12 months worth of emails and happy birthdays and congratulations on this milestone and great job with this big win and whatever it might be. Now they're putting faces to these names and these videos and true relationships are being built. And I can tell you, even if this meeting only lasts two days, it's one overnight in flights. Mm-hmm. The lasting impact that comes from these uh, creates a dynamic relationship and engagement engagement within your team that you as the leader can't even duplicate if you tried because these relationships Mm -hmm. at the peer level are what is going to help drive culture and create the dynamic that you're looking for. Gina, it sounds like you're incorporating some of those uh, strategies into your current organization as well. Is that safe to say? Yes, definitely. I mean, I think we're we're looking at right now what we're going to be doing for the anniversary program. For instance, we do have, if somebody has been with us for five years, they have a sabbatical, a month long sabbatical. And that means that they actually are completely unplugged and the other team members pick up what that person does so that, um, so that when you go on sabbatical that you essentially have, you know, your team members are going to step up and do that for you as well. And so, Gina, I think you just had every listener uh, Google and, and check out your website and they're applying <laughs> to see if you have jobs after hearing that news. <laughs> <laughs> we, I mean, I think the one thing that I underestimated when I started a business was that how much I would use my human resources background. And I really came from a very advanced kind of organizational effectiveness and consulting uh, back in the day. And my one of my mentors, uh, Judy Hybor, was really quite advanced in terms of the just how to build those programs. And I, it's one of my skills that I tap into, I'd say, daily. Uh, and it really has made a difference in terms of how we set up all of the different ways for people to connect. That's amazing. I mean, it's, it's provoking me to go down that road. I want to stay on remote leadership, but that could be a whole nother episode in and of itself. We always have to find ways to engage people. And I think in the remote capacity, we have to be innovative. Um, We have to create new ways because there's, there's two dynamics there. We talked about the human element, but we're also battling the competition and remote leadership doesn't excuse us from, retaining good employees, 
the business. I mean, there's the KPIs and the things we're chasing after from a profit and a revenue standpoint, and it takes people to do that. So you have to be much, much more intentional in a remote capacity to make sure that you're getting those things done. And, you know, one of those is motivation and inspiring people. Is there anything, uh, Gina, I mean, I don't know, I mean, five-year anniversary, a month sabbatical, that would inspire me, but is there anything that you would tell our listener uh, that is is embarking on this journey, in the journey now, maybe some things that you do on a frequent basis that continue to motivate and inspire your people, even though maybe you're getting less touches with them? Mm-hmm. I mean, some of it is actually, I do skip levels. So I have reoccurring meetings, uh, video calls with all of the employees in the company. And that's, you know, something that I will obviously, as we scale and grow, we, we kind of look at different ways that I would be able to do that. Um, but I think that that does make a big difference. Uh, we, we find that going over the business plan and actually talking about our goals and things like that are really inspiring for the team. Is that, um, are you currently in a capacity that you can have one-on-one connections with your team members? Yes, I still, I still meet with people one-on-one. I just tend to do it about every other month. Um, I'm always available to hop on a call if, if need be as well. I actually still mentor and meet with people that are no longer with the company. So some of our alumni, I still mentor. Um, I feel like mentorship is important. I really did receive a lot of great mentorship and assistance and training and people pushing me. And, and so I give a lot, it brings me a lot of joy to, to give back, if you will. So. Yeah, I would say, and every organization is different. You know, you're a, a monthly every other month. I would tell you, it will be different for every leader in every organization. But I would tell you, uh, more is better. You know, what your capacity is, and how big your team is, and the tenure of your team, and all of these things will will determine how often in the frequency. But I would just tell you that um, if you're able to do it weekly, I wouldn't do it more than weekly. I think that's getting into micro levels. Uh, but if you're able to do it weekly, that's great. Maybe it's every other week, whatever that looks like. But I think those check-ins um, from a remote standpoint, and if you can do video check-in, even better. Uh, you yes. know, again, if I could turn back time, that's exactly how I would have done it if I was mm-hmm. introduced to it and knew how easy it was. But that was something that I always did as a remote leader was I had check-in type calls. And I I will tell you that remote is tough. I mean, obviously you're, you're checking key performance indicators and you know, how are you doing with this and that? But I, I always find that there's three questions that the best leaders ask remote teams every time they connect with them. And and the questions I like, and maybe Gina, you'd be thinking about some as well, if you have any, Mm -hmm. but the three questions that I think you have to ask on every check-in with a, a remote person that you're leading. The first one is, what have you done? What's going on? Uh, wh- what, are you currently, uh, what are you currently working on is the second one. And the third one is, where do you need help? So what, what have you done since we spoke last? Here was the things that we talked about. How far have you got on those? What are you currently working on? And where do you need my help? You know, if we're hiring the right people, and uh, 
we have the right, they have the right skill sets. These check-ins should be a way for us to kind of move, keep moving the ball forward and helping them out. And these are, these are very powerful things. These three questions, they're very open-ended and they create a lot of dialogue. Things I want you thinking about when you're in these check-ins, which you have to have, they're essential. You're creating clear structure of the meeting. The people know what to expect when they're on this call. The other thing that it does is it transfers ownership from the leader to the team member. The last thing that you need as a leader is more work. You don't necessarily want them giving you more on your to-do list. You want them bringing things to this meeting of what their questions are, what they need help with. And it also allows you to begin to add value as a remote leader because you've already been down that road. You, you already have walked in their shoes. So as you're asking these open-ended questions, you know, what have you done? What are you working on? And where do you need help? It's going to help you structure these meetings and get meaningful touches in the time that you have. And I don't know how you structure, uh, you know, those meetings that you have with your team, Gina, but is there anything that you would add to that that has worked for you as well? Yes. First of all, I would say my direct reports, I do meet with weekly. So it's the, it's the rest of the organization that don't directly report to me that I actually meet with with a different, different case. So I just want to definitely agree with you that your direct reports, you should be talking to once a week. I think that there is that just the frequency is critical for you also to stay that connected. In terms of the questions, I they they vary a little bit if you're working directly for me versus uh, versus if you're a skip level. Um, the skip level, a lot of times, I'm trying to understand what people are most inspired by. What so what work have you been working on? That my question to really anybody within the organization on a one-on-one is, what can I do to help you? So that question I think is really important. I do think that. When we added Asana, and that is basically project management and task management, the need to understand what people were working on is is taken care of. I don't. I actually do have complete visibility into all of our projects, into all of the team, and all of the things that they're accomplishing right now. So that actually took the conversation and up leveled it. So now we can talk a little bit more about what people are excited about, what they're, you know, what they're thinking about the kind of in terms of expanding skills and what they're seeing in market trends and having a little bit of conversation like that. So I do think having visibility into what people are working on through Asana has made a big difference in those conversations. That's so good. I think the details and the more detailed that you can get, the better. Uh, and the open-ended questions really kind of tells you where, where is that remote person? Where are they currently at in their journey? It gives you pinpointed focus on how to help them a little bit better. Now, Gina, your, your, uh, your team, does it cover multiple time zones? Because I'd like to get into that a little bit. You know, I had a role at one point where I had to battle time zones. And even in my, my most recent role, I had peers that were in other time zones that can get a little crazy with outlook calendars and times and so on and so forth. Do you have any uh, quote unquote tricks or anything that's worked well for you in regards to time zones? Yes, definitely. So we do have different time zones and um, we actually, I do walking one-on-ones at 6am. So 
it's kind of my favorite multitasking, um, 45 minutes to an hour where I'm getting a little bit of exercise, a brisk walk, the dog is getting a walk. And then I'm also checking in with my right hand person who is, um, nine hours ahead. And so, you know, we're able to, we're able to talk strategy or just whatever we need to do for the, for the day, because we are very much tag teaming on a lot of things. Um, and then sometimes it's just strategy or, you know, just things that we're, that we're seeing, um, kind of in the market and kind of what we're wanting to go, um, from a vision perspective. So it just, that, that time that I connect, uh, with Kim is different than I'd say, uh, than, you know, a lot of other, um, a lot of other kind of connection points, if you will. Um, but I think that's made a big difference because what I agreed to do is basically get up earlier and, you know, adjust more to her time zone so that she had more overlap with the team essentially. And so that's what I tend to do is try to, I try to adjust my schedule, um, some with the people that are in different time zones, um, to make sure that we're respectful for, you know, the person in New York is not having to meet with me at his time, eight o'clock his time or seven o'clock his time, for instance. Yeah, I think I think that's a great point, too. And I remember um, how I would use it for a time management play for me. I knew if I had people on the West Coast that I had to connect with and, you know, I didn't need to be on a video or whatever it might be. I would always try to push those calls on my commute home, leaving Mm -hmm. the office. Because at that point, it might be five thirty, six o'clock Eastern time. They're still in, in the peak of the day. So it was no problem right. where, you know, not everybody likes to work till 6, 6.30, sometimes 7 o'clock at night, right? So if you call somebody on the East Coast at 7 o'clock, they think you're out of your mind. And, uh, you know, you work too much or whatever it might be where you can be strategic about that. And if somebody is at, in a different time zone, it's no big deal. Uh, and it fits very well into your day. So think about how you can use time zones to your advantage versus seeing it as a disadvantage. I think there's tremendous value and a lot of advantages to multiple time zone leadership. Just think about how you structure that because it can definitely add value to your day and help you spread out a little bit more of the workload. The other thing I would ask, um, Gina, I mean, this is primarily a leadership podcast, uh, currently you're leading several people. Has running a remote company changed your perspective on leadership and your your quote unquote style of how you lead? I think probably what changed my leadership style the most was actually just the role of the CEO and, mm-hmm. and figuring out what that really meant. Because uh, I, I had worked with client groups that were considered, you know, that were in services that were all across the United States. I worked with Typically, I was with the global sales organization, and so I was always kind of adapting. Um, but I'd say, but I'd say in my current role, I, where it's changed is that I'm always thinking about what kind of what kind of program or what kind of tool can actually help have us stay connected and preserve the culture as we grow. Mm -hmm. So we have about um, 11 employees. We have a couple of contractors that we pull in and such. So we, you know, we, we pull the lever um, as, as need be. And so I think um, as we grow and scale being cognizant of how to keep people connected and keeping the culture 
um, is is critically important um, because you, I, I've been reading Culture Code, which is a really really exceptional book on mm-hmm. highly successful teams, and it's it's just he goes in Daniel um, Coyle goes into all of these different kinds of leadership structure, and it really is. At being at the helm, you have to think about how are you going to maintain and improve and keep the same culture. And I'd say that that's probably the thing that I've gotten to be more disciplined with. And I think having a remote organization means that you need to be more disciplined. Yeah, I agree. I would say even if you're you're part of already an established organization and many people listening are I always talk about creating the culture within the culture even because culture um, it's more than a poster on the wall. It's something you have to be very intentional about. And it's clear, Gina, Mm -hmm. uh, need I tell you you're living it. It's much harder to achieve that in a remote fashion. And so being consistent in with, with what you say and walking it out as a leader is very, very important. I think the other thing that's Mm -hmm. very important in creating culture with a remote team is being a visionary and making sure that people hear that message ad nauseum, whatever Mm -hmm. that mission is, whatever that principal objective is, whatever that goal is, whatever that, that thing is that, uh, that you're working on as a leader uh, for the overall view of your organization, whether you're at Gina's level as the CEO or you're a regional manager managing three cities, you still have a vision for this team. And culture means being consistent with the message and walking it out as the leader. So whether you're remote or not, that's important. But I would tell you remotely, it's critical because, again, you're not getting those touches. So whether it's a check-in call, whether it's a group call, whatever it might be, make sure that you, even if it's not part of the agenda, you're talking about the culture that you're building. You may have a call to talk about a new product launch and all the features and benefits of the new product. But when you're on that call, it's a leadership opportunity always to be talking about culture, always to be talking about vision. And as the leader, as you go, so goes the team. And clearly, Gina, you're seeing that as an opportunity, I would assume, in your organization as well. Absolutely. And I think you use the word intention. And I think that's exactly what you have to do. It has to be intentional, for sure. No, and no doubt. Yeah. Remote working is great. Like we have people go work in Bali for two months or three months, or we had somebody that basically wasn't home all last year, like on their home base. They were in Germany, they were in Costa Rica, they were in Mexico, they were in Chile. So they, they still maintained and they still stay connected and they got their work done and did an amazing job. And, and now they're probably not going to travel at all this year. But for us, remote is also being able to work from different locations. So it's maybe we have quite a few people that take you know that opportunity to just go work from a different country for a, a month or two. It changes everything really um, when you start managing remotely because I mean, and maybe we touch on this, Gina, is the hiring process. I found in remote leadership I was less willing to take on a project when I hired somebody. You know, when you hire, when you have a remote team, you you better be very sure of your hiring profile because you're not going to be there to babysit. There better be a proven track record in whatever it is that you're looking for. And you can't hire on potential, in my opinion, because 
you don't have time to coach the potential. You need somebody with a track record that you know can come in. They, they, they are a self-starter. They're, they're self-motivated because you're not going to be there for the accountability piece. Now, there's things you can do remotely, like ask the good open-ended questions. You know, Gina has a system internally to track metrics. You should add those things. But I think hiring is absolutely paramount in a remote capacity because you can't afford to get it wrong. If you hire the wrong person in a remote capacity, you may go months, several months of inefficiency (laughs) and expense before you realize that it's the wrong person. And so make sure that you're putting a lot of energy into your hiring process, into what that profile looks like, into what the required skills and history should be before you begin the hiring process. Because what will happen, and maybe Gina, you can add to this, you're going to interview somebody and you're going to fall in love with who they are, not what they've done. And next thing you know, uh, the blinders are on. You can't see anything but how great they are. You both like the golf. You both came from the same fraternity, sorority. And next thing you know, you've lost all bearing on what a good hire looks like. Get that done up front because in a remote capacity, it will drain profitability if you get the wrong people in the wrong place. It just takes so much longer to figure out you got the wrong hire than if you were managing somebody brick and mortar. Gina, could you add to that? Yeah, I mean, I think it also takes so much longer to turn them around. So it's it's just so much more difficult when you do have a performance issue in a remote setting to, yeah. to get the person to a place where they're successful again or in the right role because maybe you put them in the wrong role. The other thing is, is that not everybody is equipped to be a remote employee. And so having those questions and really drilling into that in the hiring process, because you're exactly right, the hiring process is so critical. Trying to figure out if people really need a lot of bodies around them is critical. And we've gotten really good at understanding that. So the last thing you want to do is hire this person that you fall in love with is doing a fantastic job, but just cannot deal with the remote working structure. And then you lose them. And that's just really a sad day for everyone. No doubt. I'd love to get your opinion on this. And this will be my last point. And I'll open up to whatever you have, Gina. But this was something that I was thinking about based off of my experiences being a remote leader. And this may be a little bit taboo. I don't think it needs to be. But cultural differences. You know, whenever I took over, uh, I took over a region. So I took over the East Coast. So I had everything from call it Boston to Jersey to uh, South Carolina to Southern Florida. And as I started hiring people remotely, uh, there could be somebody from South Carolina that had the thickest Southern accent that you ever heard in your life. And then I would talk to somebody from Boston and I almost needed a translator because they were talking so fast. And, and, and so I had these, I don't want to call them stereotypes, but when I first went into it, because it was so foreign to me, it kind of took me back uh, from what I was used to. And I had to almost reprogram myself to, again, go back to those hiring skills and so on and so forth. What, do you have anything to add to that to somebody that maybe has never uh, led remotely and is going to go into that environment? Do you have any experiences that you've learned from or any advice that you would give to somebody to kind of uh, massage their way into that type of uniqueness? I mean, I think I always like to manage people and sort of transform how I am approaching someone based on what their style is. So everyone has their own 
their own kind of social style and the ways that they work and trying to figure out how you can motivate them and get them to be the most effective, I think is a a critical skill for a leader, especially in a remote environment. I think it's, it's needed everywhere. But if you look at differences in just even just social styles, I think that that's typically how I approach it. Very, very well said. Yeah, I agree. And there's a lot to learn from that. It made me grow as a leader, just learning what those things were, learning those different markets, learning those different uh, cultural type differences in in different markets. I would just tell you that uh, as you embark into remote leadership, just be open to those things uh, as you're hiring and so forth, because those will come. Obviously, it's it's a large country. It's even a bigger world. And those things will come at you. Make sure you get great people around you as a leader as well. Gina and I both talked about mentoring. There's no reason to go to remote leadership alone. There's a lot of good people that have done it before you. It helped me get through it. You know, it didn't take me long to hit the wall uh, at 100 miles an hour going into remote leadership to know that I needed to pick the phone up, make some calls, and get some advice from some people that had gone before me. So, Hey, great dialogue today, Gina. I really, I really do appreciate you being on the show. Now, um, you've completed some amazing work for Dolby, Cisco, uh, The Greatest Showman, and, and mm-hmm. many others. If, if people are interested in learning more about you uh, and what you guys are doing at the Craftsman Agency, how do they find you and how could they reach out and contact you? Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. I really enjoyed the conversation as well, Jeff. So our website is a great place to see some of our case studies and we're going to be updating it shortly, but that's uh, www.thecraftsmanagency.com and craftsman is M-A-N, singular. And also from, I have and publish on LinkedIn, should always be doing it more, but LinkedIn, I'm at Gina McNovich. And I, um, I have, I'm part of the agency voices program. So I do blogs on marketing, customer experience, leadership. I, I had one that actually covered servant leadership. And now I think I'm inspired to do one for remote leadership. Um, and that would be on LinkedIn and you can follow me. Um, just as when I publish, you'll be able to get those updates as well. Fantastic. Well, great dialogue. Uh, Your business is fascinating. Uh, We wish you all the best in your endeavors, team. Uh, Everybody listening, if you want to learn more about Gina, go to her website, follow her on LinkedIn to learn more about what she is doing. That wraps up our episode on how to effectively lead remotely. Listen, if today's content has added value to your journey, please be sure to subscribe, rate, review from the platform that you're listening on. This really helps us to get the content out and help people more. I would also welcome you to follow me on social media at the Champion Forum. And until next time, you got to remember this. You have been set up to be a champion in this life. The Champion Forum podcast with Jeff Hancher. Lead. Inspire. Win. Win.